It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports editor and columnist, along with Rick Brewing. Each week, we talk about local sports topics, some national sports topics, talk a little gambling, and of course, the favorite segment of the show is Ask Me, Ask Skinny, Anything. So, lots to get to. It was been a crazy uh, first couple of days of the week, I it felt like honestly, it felt like a full forty-hour work week on Monday and Tuesday combined. Um, and here we are doing this on Thursday morning. And Rick, I'm not going to lie to you, I am wiped out. Yeah, it's uh, it's draining certainly from a perspective if you're just working all of this right now as you are. Uh, but even just from a fan perspective, it's like you, on one hand, you've got. MLB going on, you've got NBA going on, playoffs are getting ready to start, NHL playoffs have been absolutely nuts if you're into that too, which I was forced to watch a little bit of it because of Fox Sports Ohio's blunders, but that, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, it's a little weird. And while all of that is going on, it feels like sports is crumbling around us. Like right. we're, we're just losing the rest of the sports year, so... It has been a very strange and draining week. I completely see where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and I will say um, I'm not a huge hockey fan, but they're really honestly, I, there is nothing better than overtime playoff hockey. Now, game seven overtime playoff hockey is even more intense. It, it helps a little bit that I've got a future bet on the Carolina Hurricanes, so I had a little rooting interest in watching that game on uh, on Wednesday morning as it went to double overtime and they lost to the Boston Bruins. But, uh, I mean, my goodness sakes, five overtimes, two overtimes in, in back-to-back days. Um, like I said, I'm not a huge hockey fan, but it is incredible. But what what is that about the sport? Like, what, how can you just always go into overtime like that when <laughs> there's high stakes? Doesn't that say something about the sport? It kind of feels to me like it's a little bit like soccer, like it's just unskilled or something. Because yeah, but the, but the thing about hockey though, in overtimes, is you do get a quick rush back and forth, and it feels like every time some some teams coming down the ice with the puck that it can end automatically. Whereas soccer, unfortunately, it gets kicked forward, backwards, sideways, goes out of bounds, there's a throw in. There's a little bit to midfield. There's a slot back. It's just it, the, the action oh. isn't quite as intense for me. Pe- I, t- I totally pen- understand. Penalty kicks in soccer is intense. I totally think that, that hockey is a more exciting and entertaining sport to watch and the overtimes are better. Like, I don't hate hockey and, and playoff hockey, but I feel like it says something about your sport if everybody goes into overtime when they're actually trying and it matters. Like, no one can separate themselves at all. It feels a lot like soccer to me, where the worst team can compete with the best team because there's no skill involved. You're just kicking a freaking ball around. <laughs> I think that's uh, hockey's a little bit like that too. They're the least skilled sports, I think. Oh, I don't know about that part of it, but oh, uh, I think for I, sure. I, I will leave it there and let you start. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Four conferences: the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the MAC, and the Mountain West, and three other schools: Old Dominion, UConn, and UMass have announced that they won't be playing football this fall. The Big 12 announced on Wednesday that it is still moving ahead towards a fall season with teams playing nine conference games and one non-conference game allowed before September 26th. The ACC presidents are scheduled to meet again later this week, and SEC schools appear to be pushing forward with practice scheduled to start on Monday. Skinny, do you think there's any way we get to see college football this fall, knowing what we know at this point? I I do. Um... But let's let's set the big picture here. First off, let's put the MAC to the side. Um, 
Sorry, Jed Demusi, but the MAC is completely irrelevant as a football conference. So, love and honor. Love and honor. Uh, yeah, love and honor. Um, look, the, the MAC punted because they were not going to get their bye games. Uh, and I, again, all these conferences are making me laugh with the health and safety of players being right. the main reason that cracks me up. So they got the health and safety of players that you're going to welcome 30,000 people to your college campuses to go to class. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're talking about health and safety. Give me a freaking break. Um, I, I do. And, and, and to me, um, I think the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC, I think are doing the prudent thing at this stage, which is let's keep moving forward to see. And look, if things are bad, really bad still in September. I mean, we may go up to September. I think the Big 12 starting the same as the SEC, right? September 26th. I can't remember what the ACC, they may be starting a week earlier, Rick. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway. I think that's right. You could go up to the week of and finally go, you know what? The data is just, it's going the other direction. We're, we, we can't play. We thought we could kick this can as far down the road as we could. That's to me is why my eyebrows become completely raised at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for punting as quickly as they did. And I brought this point up on a, on a, on a show, radio show in the market yesterday. Chad Brendel was filling in for, for Mo Egger. And, and um, I, I heard a little bit more of this take today, actually, this morning as I was watching um, Get Up. It's interesting to me that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 had the most vocal players who come up with demands and I don't want to use the term unionizing, but that, that was kind of the, the direction it was maybe heading in. They were the most vocal conference players, right? And all of a sudden, a few days later, those conferences say, yeah, we're done. That to me sounds awful like, like uh, we're not going to let you guys do this to us. And you know what? We're going to hide behind this, this, this virus. Because I think the prudent thing to do right now is to continue to wait. You were already practicing. You can continue to practice. The, the, the Big Ten – could have done what it was going, what it said it was going to do on Saturday, which is we're going to put a little bit of a halt to going to pads and full contact practices and all that. Okay, you can do that, especially if you're not going to start till late September. You don't really need to get into the pads until maybe the, the the first week of September anyway. But all of a sudden, just out of the blue, decide now we're done. That to me makes it awful sound an awful lot like they did not want to deal with the players and what they were asking them to do, right or wrong. One skinny th- that is the most on point take of all this that I've heard so far. There is the coronavirus is the impetus of all right this. So I don't right. want to act like it's not important, but like the actual impact of the coronavirus and the impact it could have on a football team right now is the smallest reason that these these conferences are canceling their season. It, no question. It is the smallest reason. The second biggest reason is the liability issue. Right. There are some lawsuit factors in there that I'm sure there's some sure there's some concern about. Um, the NCLA said that they couldn't make players sign waivers, so. There were, there were some uh, moments and some things that would have to be sorted through uh, by your legal teams for each conference and the schools if you were to press forward with this. But the biggest reason is what you just laid out. It has everything to do with the fact that the Pac-12 players came out, said they were trying to organize some type of, whether it's union or organization or whatever, but they were going to push for some rights. Um, and their list of demands was absolutely ridiculous. It was it one was. of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It called like a 50-50 revenue split. Right, but, but you got to start somewhere, ridiculous. though. Yeah, but you got to start somewhere in negotiations, though, right? I mean, you start at you the most do, ridiculous but, point possible. Uh, see, I don't, I don't know, because to me, the, the, the list of demands, when they came out with them, I said, the first thing I did was go, oh, okay, these guys aren't serious at all. I mean, I took them as a clown show immediately when they did that. I got, they got no chance of getting anything done when you come with the demand. Because it shows you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, 
So I think actually you would have been better off to just dismiss them. The issue is they weren't ready to handle it right now. And you have the coronavirus for the players to kind of gain momentum. People are talking about the, the coronavirus. Everyone is just sitting around firing off takes and, and ranting and raving about what's going on in the world, whether it be politics or college athletics or, or anything like that, because no one has anything else to do. We're all just sitting at home online reading and, and ranting right now. So the NCAA just wasn't – or those conferences more specifically just weren't ready to handle what the players were demanding and asking, and they knew the players would have a lot more momentum on their side with the coronavirus stuff going on right now because there was an actual safety concern in the minds of many. But make no mistake about it. Them canceling the football season right now is them saying, we're willing to punt on – one year worth of revenue, especially a year where our revenue is going to be down majorly. Exactly. To avoid sharing the revenue and giving you guys some actual control for all time going forward. That's exactly what they were saying by, by canceling football this year. Yeah, and then, then, you know, the conversation of moving into the spring. And, and, and look, I don't think that's, a, that's an awful thing in theory. But again, if we're using health and safety as a reason, you're going to play a spring season and turn around a couple of months later and play a fall season? Tell me that's safe. Those dudes start preparing for the fall with spring football. And then Correct. they literally start ramping up big time like in July. Right. August. So, I mean, what? where's the time off for these guys? The joints, the pounding oh, that but these linemen and linebackers and running backs are going to take? It's insanity to say that something like that would work. But it's health and safety. Don't you understand that? This is all about health and safety, this decision. You don't seem to understand that, Rick. You know, the, the other thing, too – um, I just took my daughter to, to, to college. It's her last year at Kentucky. She's sharing a house with three other sorority sisters. And so we moved her down on Tuesday. Uh, we've been moving her down in increments, but the final move down was Tuesday. And I'm thinking of the same thing of, again, so you're going to tell me you're going to punt football because you don't think it's safe with the coronavirus. And yet you college presidents are going to make sure all these kids come back to your campus. And then for some of them, they're going to have virtual classes. My daughter, unfortunately, now has found out in the last few days, she's going to have a couple of extra virtual classes. If that was the case, I'd have just kept her ass at home. Yeah, yeah. So, so she's play, well, we've to, already paid our money down there. <laughs> paying a ton of money, which you can't be refunded, for right. her to sit in a small, small room nonstop and sit on her laptop and take her classes. Isn't right. this a beautiful world? No, and again, you're telling me health and safety. It's all about the money. Stop hiding behind the virus and health and safety. You are hypocritical sons of bitches, Kyle presidents every last one of you is a greed-mongering son of a bitch totally yeah i mean that's exactly what it is kitty i mean there's no other way to say it college athletics are a billion dollar industry they're going to be hurting if they miss the, the some of this money this year however school in general like college is a trillion dollar industry so they ain't keeping the students off campus the students are coming no matter what because exactly almighty dollar is going to rule here so yeah i mean this was all about keeping control of the players and keeping control of the money a little bit about oh well now we don't have to deal with some potential lawsuits down the line or or uh you know wading through legal waters if nothing else and a maybe a tiny sliver of well there is a little bit of risk here yeah yeah and that's where I go. I think the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC, and to a large extent, I've heard the American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco say that their health people tell them, keep moving forward. I, I applaud them for that because I think any movement that was done this early in the process was rash, irresponsible, and quite frankly, a knee-jerk reaction to not wanting to deal with the players. Shame on the Big 10, shame on the Pac-12. And you can see that a lot of the, the, the college coaches 
understand some of that too. That's why you saw them be so vocal. I think they realize that this is an absolute nonsensical take at this point in the game. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's the the one interesting thing we've seen from this. And it seems like the the athletic directors and the university presidents have been able to wrangle the head coaches here in the last few days because initially when the reports first started coming out and you had guys like Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh going off the cuff and just talking about what they were going to do and essentially directly going against the university presidents, that was an interesting time in in college athletics there for about 24 to 48 hours because that's something we've never really seen. College coaches are – going to fight to win games and keep their jobs, and that's it. Once you take away the sport from them, though, the, it gets real interesting because they're, they're no longer fighting for that. And, and I would say most of these guys, talking about no one specific here, but most of these guys are not equipped to be speaking intelligently on a lot of these issues. And if you interview them at any point during the season, they brag about how much they, they don't know about the world around them. They're in their own little bubble focused on football. So you don't want these guys talking about these types of things in public. It seems like the university presidents have been able to control them since those first about 24 to 48 hours, though, like I said, because we, a lot of those guys have fallen in line in their press conferences over the last day or two. And I want to say this, if if you're a a parent of of somebody that has a child at Ohio State listening to this podcast, if your child, God forbid, catches it and something tragic happens to your child, I would sue that university to high heaven because the presidents have said, we can't play football because of health and safety. And yet again, you're going to let the student go to a class and potentially catch this. No, 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 no. If it's about health and safety, then just wipe everything out. Wipe out the fall semester, you know, do it all virtually on, do it all online, give everybody their money back other than they have to pay for an online class. And that's the fee they pay. Because I'm telling you, if it was me and my kid was at a university that shut this down like this in the interest of health and safety and my kid, God forbid something happened, I'd sue your ass to high heaven. No, I totally agree. And let me be clear. I am not even saying this is the wrong choice from a health perspective. This might be the right thing. They might be doing might the right be. thing yes. for the wrong reasons. Yes. My, my issue with it is they're hiding behind those moral righteous reasons of we're doing it for player safety when it's totally obvious they aren't and everything else they're doing, such as planning for a spring season, suggests that it's not about that. And, and like you said, bringing students back to school in general. So I, I totally agree with you. I think we've said about all you can say in terms of this because it really is about one thing and that comes down to money and control. Hang on, I do want to make two, one, one final point and, and it's yep. this. There, there are two good things that came out of this, Rick, really, if you ask me. Two positives. One is Jim Harbaugh is not going to lose to Ohio State this year. That, that's got to be a good – that's got to be a win for him, right? That's right, I yeah. mean, it was, as mad as he was, he's got to kind of be happy with that. And two, I got to tell you, as long as the SEC and ACC play, you can have a legitimate college football champion because that's where the college football champions come from anyway. It doesn't oh. come from the Big Ten or Pac-12. So we can still have a college football championship. And, and I will say, not that it's the right thing or it's good for the players or it's going to work out perfectly, but the idea of, like, we get a fall season with the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, and then we have another season in the spring with who knows who all plays, whether it's just the leftover schools or whether the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 join them again in the spring for another season. I don't know how all that would work out, but the possibility now of that kind of being out there is – very enticing from a football fan perspective. I mean, being able to bet on football during fall and spring weekends would be kind of fun. I, it I will be, it would be, yeah, it wouldn't be bad. I'll give you that part of it. Yeah, I don't know how it all works out, but I, I am intrigued. 
All right, let's uh, look at basketball, though. The Pac-12 took it a step farther by calling off all athletic competition before the start of the new year in January, which means basketball season will be delayed, and there's a good possibility that teams will play a conference-only schedule. Plenty of figures around the sport, including UCLA and former UC head coach Mick Cronin, Gary Parish, and Jeff Goodman, as well as others, have suggested college basketball should figure out a bubble system for when the sport restarts. Skinny, do you think there's any possibility of a bubble system working in college basketball? No. I mean, I mean honestly, what about class? I mean, what about class? Are we going to do all that remotely, I guess, too? We're going to do Zooms again with those kids? I mean, Well, a lot of them are saying, look, most of the classes are going to be online anyway, so why, why, why is it any different if they're just in a hotel 500 miles away? Which I, I go back to what's the point of college at that point? I mean, honestly, I, what's, the, what is, what's the point of college? Exactly. Why are we calling them student-athletes still at this point? Yeah, I, no, no, I, I, no, I, the, no bubble. No, no. It, it worked work for professionals. They're getting paid. It's their job. Um, these, no, I, no, I don't want a bubble. Well, even if you're going to look past some of those very obvious issues with the whole student-athlete thing and the amateurism thing, which, you know, colleges never want to admit, you know, the, that those players are not student athletes and they're not really amateurs until it's a time like putting them in a bubble. And then they're basically all for treating them like professionals. But I think the two biggest reasons a bubble wouldn't work is one title nine. How, right. You're not going to be doing this for like women's basketball or for any other winter sports. So how are you going to justify only doing it for men's basketball? Uh, I don't think that's going to just fly uh, with title nine and two, costs i mean it's costing the nba hundreds of millions of dollars to do the bubble in disney now i know you wouldn't do the same thing but even just renting out like a block of hotel rooms or something and a renting a gym and kind of a little city space for one weekend is going to be cost prohibitive for pretty much any conference Uh, maybe not the top top your conferences but certainly anything beyond the power five but rick Rick, hang on a second though without college football helping to fund some of this too don't forget that yeah oh that's that's a huge part of it i mean to me i think a best case scenario is you get a few bursts of play in bubble settings like you could do maybe a a three or four week because a lot of these schools are talking about taking an extended winter break this year Uh, due to the coronavirus stuff that's going on. So maybe during that time you could fit in like, I don't know, a eight to 10 game conference slate for a lot of these teams. If you play them every other day or something um, in a hotel setting, maybe you could do a conference tournament that way because it's kind of how it's already set up. And then maybe you play an NCAA tournament. That to me seems like the best case scenario in a bubble setting. Other than that, I don't see how you could extend this to the mid-major conferences. Right. I don't see how you could play a full season. I don't know. The bubble thing just seems kind of unrealistic to me, although I, it does seem like there is some real thought being put into it right now. And that's fine. I will, I will say this. College basketball, at least now, looking at how football has kind of messed this up, um, has some time to think outside the box like this. And I don't mind outside the box. I, I think it's, it's fine to throw against the wall and talk about, but I just don't see how conception is going to work. And when you, when you talk about the extended break for a lot of colleges, I know for Kentucky, at least for my daughter, they're, they're, when they go home for Thanksgiving break, um, they're staying home through uh, that, that kind of ends the semester. They're all going to take 
um, online finals. And, and that, that makes some sense to me. I mean, cause you go away for an extended five day period of time for Thanksgiving break. And if this thing is still spiking and going on, I guess you fear that people bring it back to the campus, um, in, in the winter time. So I, I do get that part of it, but I don't know how long the break can be. I mean, you're gonna have an extended break to the end of February. I don't see that taking place. So I no, I don't think the bubble works either. I, I, I think again, the PAC 10 again was extremely rash and in, in canceling everything through the end of the, the calendar year. Um, but I, I think it's probably trending in that direction that, that if things go bad, if we let's just go the nuclear option that we don't have college football um, of, of any kind, the SEC eventually punts, the Big 12 punts, um, you know, the ACC punts and the AAC punts. If we don't have college football and this continues to, to look bad, um, I, I think the only thing you can hope for is we get through this calendar year um, and it peters out and we come to January and people can squeeze a, a 20 game conference schedule in and then we play the NCAA tournament. That, that seems to be maybe the, the direction we're heading, but I go to the flip side of it of if the SEC pulls this off and the ACC pulls this off and the big 12 pulls this off. Well, let's just start college basketball when you would start it. And let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, one thing that Mick Cronin said, which I totally agree with is that the NCAA tournament is being played this year in some form or fashion. It, I mean, is it? I think it has to be there in some, well, is it again, it comes back to money is the biggest thing here. And NCAA does not own the college football playoff. So that is, that is not nearly as important for them as having the NCAA tournament at the end of the year, which has been like $900 million for them over the last few years on average. Uh, That is the key is having that to pay out for teams last year. The teams only got a third of the usual payment they would have gotten Um, this year. If they don't get that again, for a lot of schools outside the power five, it, it could be over like legitimately. So I don't know how they go on without having an NCAA tournament. That's why I think they'll figure out something, but I also don't know that ex- canceling everything until or putting everything off until January is the right move because one, there's no reason that the, the, the virus is just going to say, okay, well now it's December. Uh, no, yeah, that's right. right. I'm going to Peter out now. There, there's nothing that suggests that will happen if it hasn't already. So there's no reason to make that like the cutoff point. And two, if students are going to be out of school for pretty much all of December and January due to an extended break, it would seem like using that time in December to try to fit some games in. Potentially, a lot of games in, yes. Yeah, would be the best time to do this. So I don't know that canceling or pushing everything off till January is the right move anyway, even from a safety perspective, because you might be able to keep your players most quarantined during that break time during December. Well, again, if you're taking kids out and, you know, not bringing them back after Thanksgiving, um, I mean, you're talking the end of November through probably right through at least middle January. You can do a lot of things in that time frame. Yeah, I mean, that could be a conference slate almost if you if you figure out now that'd be really early in the year to be playing all your well, conference but, games. But you've got to figure out something here. And that would seem to me like the biggest block and the most flexible block of time because technically you're not going to be students during that time if everyone's already taken their finals online or everyone's at home taking their finals. Either way, you're not going to have your have to have your guys back for classes for almost two months, it sounds like. No, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. You could you could play a three game week for goodness sakes. I mean, it's it's all basketball all the time. And um Yeah, or if you're doing some type of bubble where teams are closer, you play four or five games in a week. You know what I mean? Like Well, uh, and that's why I'll go back to to college basketball at this point. The powers that be need to really start thinking in terms of everything on the table like we're talking about, like a bubble. I don't think a bubble's feasible, but I think any kind of option where you start looking and going, all right, let's try to squeeze as many games as we can into this time frame in case it spikes again 
in flu season or mid-late January. At least we've got a bunch of stuff under our belt. Then you can almost, if you have to stop a season, you've at least got 18 games maybe, 20 games. And if you have to stop for a month, two months, whatever the time period is, as, as you kind of ride this next wave out, then you can go back and go, okay, we've got a body of work to put a field together. Let's have an NCAA tournament and go. Yeah, uh, you've got to think outside the box. The one thing that is very clear is that they cannot repeat the mistake that college football make, which is going into this without absolutely no contingency plans and just saying, we're going to see what happens. And then you get to that point and you freak out and you cancel the season, which again, that really wasn't about coronavirus. It was about players trying to unionize. But either way, you, you clearly need to have a plan in place so you know what you're going to say when the, the players come asking and the coaches come asking and the parents come asking what the deal is going to be. Yep. All right, Skinny, one more topic here on all of this college athletics situation. A group of U.S. Senators, this just happened this morning as we're about to record it on Thursday, led by Cory Booker and Richard Blumenthal, on Thursday unveiled outlines of comprehensive legislation being termed the College Athletes' Bill of Rights that would assist college athletes in ways well beyond making money from their names, image, and likenesses. Bear with me real quick while I run through these. The proposal expands on the ways in which a college player can earn money, expanding well beyond the name, image, and likeness rules. Athletes would be allowed to enter group licensing deals such as apparel, clothing lines, or the NCAA video games, and they could enter revenue sharing agreements with athletic associations, conferences, and their own schools. The legislation also calls for banning all restrictions and penalties attached to athletes' school choice from originally signing with a program to transferring being among them. It also would create an oversight panel to give athletes representation. The commission, led by current and former college athletes, policy experts, academics, and administration officials, would level the playing field by establishing baseline rules that govern college sports, the statement said. The proposal also provides athletes with lifetime scholarships to return to campus post-eligibility to complete their education. It enforces evidence-based health standards to keep players safe amid the COVID-19 pandemic and increases financial assistance for athletes suffering from long-term injury or virus-related health issues. Under current regulations, Power 5 programs are required to care for athletes' medical woes at least two years after they leave the university. In a final requirement, the Bill of Rights seeks to hold schools more accountable of their internal finances, requiring each school to provide detailed annual public reporting of their revenue and expenses. College college athletic departments are notoriously secretive and often lack transparency. Each school does provide a detailed financial document to the NCAA annually that is available through public records requests, except for private schools, of course. The legislation would also demand that schools report on athlete activities, specifically their hours spent on workouts, film study, travel, etc. Skinny, what do you think of the proposed College Athletes Bill of Rights? Yeah, not having time to digest all of it, you, you, you kind of sounded like one of those disclaimer guys, you know, that goes really fast. I get it because there's a lot to, to, to do there. But yeah, because this just came about this morning. Without really being able to digest it, I, on, on, on face, I, I like it. I can't say I like all of it. I don't know if I like the lifetime scholarship idea. I mean, scholarships are one-year renewable. And so what happens if School A decides to pull a kid's scholarship for whatever reason, and that kid then just kind of decides, all right, I'm going to go do something else. Is that school then held accountable for that scholarships? I mean, there's, there's some fine tuning, but I, I kind of like it. I, I again, I think I've, I've, we've talked about it. I think you should be able to make money however you want to make money um, as, a, as a college student. If that means it's a licensing deal, a shoe deal, go for it. And, and there is no equality here and there's not going to be equality here. The, the fifth string left tackle is not going to make what the quarterback makes. The only thing I've ever said, and this is not part of this bill is I don't think the school should be the ones paying the athletes. But I think the athletes should be able to make money however they 
see fit as long as it's within the the law. I mean, they can't certainly run an illegal bookmaking operation or a a, a drug cartel, but um, whatever legal means possible. So on on face, I I I, I like the concept. Yeah, we saw this spring where individual states started passing yes. laws where they were going to allow athletes name, image, and likeness stuff and all that. And so the NCAA basically came to the government and said, we need a federal law here in place to, to protect us. And also we want to avoid monopoly laws as well. So, I mean, it, it's a real gray situation, but the NCAA has basically come- it was, it was protect us from each other, basically. Right, exactly. And they have come to the government asking for help. And this is kind of why you're seeing now all these senators and lawmakers coming out with statements on the state of college athletes, so to speak, because they see it as an opportunity to to get in the news. And the more I look at this, the more I feel like that's what this was. Because to be quite honest, like the name and mention likeness stuff we already knew about, but I do think they need to expand that. Like the, the original proposal that the NCAA had had approved had a lot of restrictions on. They couldn't make money by using their schools. Like they couldn't say, oh, I play for Xavier you know, when they were doing it. They couldn't wear a Xavier jersey in an ad, things like that. They couldn't be on a video game saying they played for Xavier. All of that should be fair game. The one part about what brands they're going to be wearing in terms of apparel, that's tough because obviously the schools make a ton of money off of apparel deals. That's their so, problem, in my opinion. You know what? That, that's a school's problem. If, if, a kid, if a kid doesn't want to wear Adidas and, and he wants to wear Nike and he's got to deal with Nike, that's the school's problem. Tough well, luck. Well, that's fine, but then what you're going to run into is a lot of schools are going to lose these Cush brand deals where yeah. all their players get tons of apparel. So, okay, now one of your guys can go get his deal, but the other nine, ten guys on the team, they don't have that type of juice, so they're just all out in the cold with no free gear this year because Nike was saying, if we can't have him, we don't want to sponsor you. So I get where that, that's going to be tough, and they're going to have to figure something out there. I'd be willing to concede that on the player side because I think it'd be better for the players to, to get that across the board. The banning all restrictions and penalties on players transferring or signing with a school and then leaving, we're kind of already going in that direction, it sounds like. It sounds like guys are going to be able to transfer once with no restrictions. So this is just taking that another step farther. I don't see a huge need for it. I think transferring once with no restrictions is probably the right rule, uh, but I'm fine with Agreed. this. If you want to, if you want to take that a little farther and say they can transfer whenever they want, you can't hold them anywhere. You, you will get closer to that quote unquote free agency model that we've sort of uh, talked about for, for years in college sports. Um, but I don't think that's a terrible thing either. The oversight panel giving athletes representation with former college athletes, policy experts, academic officials, I think that's a good idea. I do think they need to have some type of say, like when something like this is going on where you're just canceling a season, I think there should be some type of voice from the players. And I think there should be a group of players that are part of that. I mean, think about this. The Big Ten canceled because 12 of the 14 presidents made the decision. 12 people out of what, 1,200 football players, well, I didn't even count staff, 12, 12 people basically had a voice for 1,400 people. That, that, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, and, and they didn't even get to be heard, really. Right, you know, right, you had, that's exactly right, right, right. You had the players, the stu- and, and to be clear, there were players, not named Trevor Lawrence, getting retweeted by the president, who didn't agree, who don't think they should be playing. I mean, there's a cornerback from Boston College who's been very outspoken in the ACC, and he's still 
they're still practicing and going to play. But, but we've talked about they've got the ability to opt out. You can make that choice. You can opt out. No one's putting a gun to your head to play. And I think that part, that's the part that, I don't know, if you want to opt out, go. Right, and, and, that, and that's, uh, that's how I feel 100%. But I do want to be clear that it's not all one-sided. Not every no, player, right. not every right. parent is out there saying we should all play. Some people are worried about coronavirus, and that's understandable. But if I, that's I the think, case, opt out. You don't yeah. have to play. But I go back to the overwhelming majority want to play as opposed to 12 presidents who said nada so looking at this the the bill of college athlete bill of rights a lot of this i don't think a lot of it's new some of it maybe goes a little too far like the revenue share stuff isn't to me it's a non-starter paying these players as actual employees is a huge problem for both the players and the ncaa and the schools I don't think that works for anybody. I think that's a non-starter. I think it can only be done in a name, image, and likeness format where they can profit by doing their own thing away from the team and you're not paying. Them. You know what? I've said this before, and I'm probably going to get laughed at for it. Um, I'll tell you what. If you want the schools to pay the players, that's fine, and there's no such thing as a scholarship anymore, and they have to pay the freight. And you pay them almost exactly what the scholarship would be worth. So it's a trade-off. Um, and that's where I go back to the, the school does not to be, need to be in the business of paying the players. Let them make their own money however they deem fit otherwise. Skinny, let's switch gears here. The Reds sit at 8 and 10 as of this recording on Thursday morning, which places them 7th in the overall National League standing. That's including the Marlins, but excluding the Cardinals, of course. <laughs> They've now played over a quarter of the season already, and by the next time we talk, they will have played over a third of the 60-game slate. Where are your expectations at now with this team, and how much have they changed from opening day? They already bore me. I, I hate to say that they already bore me, and I, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to get excited, but it, it feels like it feels like each week is Groundhog Week, where I feel like they start to make some ground up, and then Sunday comes, and then Wednesday comes, and it, it's just this team can't get out of its own way. It, it's that it's that sadly sad circumstance of on the days they pitch they don't hit, on the days they hit they don't pitch, on the days they pitch and don't hit but stay in the ball game, the bullpen blows it. And then there's days where David Bell blows it. And it's just, it seems like it's a revolving door. I think this team has a, has a tremendous upside, Rick. And there's a part of me that thinks that any day now the light switch is going to go on. But it kind of felt like that through the weekend that, okay, took two from the Brewers, got Sonny Gray on the mound, got a two nothing lead. Here we go, game on. And then the bullpen implodes. Um, you know, then, then against Kansas City, all right, Wade Miley's back. Well, Wade Miley's really not back. And then they fall behind 5 nothing, and somehow he takes players out and has players that would come up and hit, and they're not in the game, and somebody else is hitting for them because he's overmanaged yet again. And, and it's just, it, it's, it can't get out of its own way. Now, the, the good part is, before last night, they were second in the Central. I think they still technically are, which has them in the playoffs. Um, and I guess that's a good thing, but it's hard for me to get excited when I keep watching the same thing. It feels like week in and week out. The new playoff format is likely to save the Reds this year. I think they're going to get in, and with this starting rotation, that is enough because it's very much a situation is if you get hot, these top three pitchers in a, in a series can, can take, take you somewhere. So no, they, I'll, I'll go to the top four. I think Anthony DiScofani is as good a number four as there is. I do. Fair enough. I mean, e- either way, that you have legitimately right. got a chance right. to get to the dance, no, and no this question. team should be able to get to the dance because of the new playoff format. But – I definitely don't feel good about the way this has gone or the chances that this team will get hot for an extended stretch to make a run. I mean, it's a possibility they're going to get the chance to prove it, and that'll that'll make us all excited when the playoffs come around. But I'm mad at myself because I was still pessimistic even after the offseason and, and all the new pieces. And I said, look, they're still the Reds. They were still trash last year. They've got to make a huge jump. I don't know if they're just going to do it in one year. 
But then we get closer to the – we had no baseball for so long that I just started itching for it. And then we start talking about, well, it's going to be a shorter season, so maybe there will be a little more parity. And, and then we find out that the Reds have the easiest schedule with the least amount of travel. And I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe this team does have a chance. Maybe they're going to be all right. And I'm so mad at myself for doing that because some of these guys, new guys have made a difference. I think Castellanos has been No great. doubt. No I question. Mustakis will absolutely make a difference, and he clearly is a presence in the lineup even Agree. if he's been cold. Agree. There's some other pieces that I like, and definitely the pitching rotation at the top has is great. I mean, it has been much improved. They have done a great job putting that rotation together. I'm very impressed with it. But I'm, but I'm remembering now why the Reds sucked so bad last year. Because this is who they are. They can't get hits when they need them. They don't have guys throughout their line. All these other guys that we sit there and talk about, Vado, yeah, he's, he's had his moments. But you know what? For the most part, he's not a guy that can lead your team anymore. Uh, everyone else, Suarez has really been a huge disappointment this year. Yes, he was there yes. with help. But everybody else, for the most part, is just meh or whatever. I mean, no well, one – Two things I just don't trust. I don't trust the bullpen at, at all. They, the bullpen they, stinks, and we knew that. We knew that going in. I, I See, I, I thought – I really believed in the big three. I believed in Iglesias, Garrett, and, and Lorenzen. And even Garrett gave up a big hit um, recently. I mean, he's, he's, he's been good at times, and I, I thought the addition of Strope was a good addition. But I, I can't trust the bullpen, and I sure as hell don't trust the manager. So it's, it's, it's tough. Well, I don't even know how Garrett's supposed to be consistent right now when he never knows when he's going to pitch again. I mean, he goes a week without pitching, and then he comes into games where they're already losing. It it makes no sense how he's being used, so I give him a little bit of a pass because I still think he's pretty damn good. I I do too. But, yeah, I mean, the bullpen is a a total disaster. Let me get your take on a situation that happened specifically in last night's game where in the bottom of the eighth, Joey Votto gets the leadoff walk. He's on first base. And a big criticism of David Bell has been he tinkers too much with the lineup, takes his best players out of the game too often, which I agree with. And he takes Joey Votto out for Jankowski to run. And Jankowski, to David Bell's credit, goes first to third on a routine signal. But they strand him at third. The Reds don't get the run in. And lo and behold, the ninth inning, it yep. comes down to Joey Votto's spot and Christian Colon does absolutely nothing with it, grounds into a double play to end the game. What, what's your take on taking Votto out to run there because I understand you're playing for one run to try to tie the game. But I also say in today's day and age where baseball is so much about guys walking or hitting a home run, is it necessary to try to play for one run of, of going first to third or second to home with a pinch runner? I say in that circumstance, no, I, I say, I say no in that circumstance, you know, if it's bottom of the ninth, I might give you that. Um, but with the potential maybe of his spot coming up again, I want him still in the ball game. And, and you're right. In today's day and age, it is literally – rarely do you run anybody, um, and rarely do you bunt. Um, you're so not doing hit and runs. You're not doing hit and runs. So, uh, look, yeah, Jankowski can fly, and that's all well and good, but you, you cost yourself an at-bat of Joey Votto. It was Joey Votto or Christian Colon. Who would you rather have up? I would have thought you would I, – I think I would have just left Votto in period because, yes. like I said, in this day and age, you're not doing any small ball stuff. And I also think, you know, everyone talks about that. Oh, there's not enough small – there's not bunning, sacrifice flies, and moving the runners around. But to a certain extent, this is the way these guys have trained themselves to play at this point. They take a lot of pitches. They don't swing for contact a lot. I mean, it's hard to just all of a sudden switch into that mode in the eighth inning of a game with guys who haven't been doing it all and that are more disciplined hitters and are playing by sort of a different style based on what the analytics say. So I don't know that going to a small ball 
concept in the eighth inning of a game is a good idea in general. Maybe once he gets to second, you feel more like, okay, we can get him second to home if we've got a speedy right. guy out there. Right. But you just got Jankowski first to third, and that definitely worked. His speed and his base running ability was the reason he went first to third, but then you didn't get him in. You had second and third with, no, uh, with one out and didn't get anybody in. So now you just took Votto out of the game. And let's say you get that run, but you go into extra innings. Well, then Votto's spot is definitely coming back up. He just hit a walk-off the night before to win the game for you. I understand why you take, it, take him out to run right there, but I don't think that that's the right decision. And it's something that David Bell does Over, so often, it's inferior. Right, overmanaging. And that's why I go back to I don't trust the bullpen and I don't trust David Bell. It's that simple. Oh, you know, our guys are going to hit at some point. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to pitch and um, I, I trust the guys. I mean, he is so inspiring. I mean, every time I listen to his pregame show, I almost want to run through a brick wall. I mean, he is an inspiring cat. I, he, and he, he just he overmanages and that's just a case of it. So like I said, I don't trust David Bell and I don't trust the bullpen. We, we hadn't asked any anything question that's right on this topic, so let me just ask it now. Okay. Um, someone said, what would honestly have to happen in these final 42 games for the Reds to move on from David Bell? He says, unfortunately, I think it's about a 4.3% chance of happening since his father works for Big Bob now. I would say that if they don't make the playoffs in an expanded playoff season, to be honest with you, after the offseason moves, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, if they make it and they, they get in by the skin of their teeth – I mean, right or wrong, they did make the playoffs, and he made it in the second year of managing, and I think that earned you the, the, the ability to come back and, and get another, at least start another full season. But, yeah, if you don't make the playoffs in this expanded format, if you spent all that offseason money, um, and, again, I want to go back to the expanded format where half of the teams or eight of the teams and half the teams are going to make it, um, and you're in a division where, I mean, honest to God, I don't know how the Cardinals are going to pull this off uh, to, to even finish with enough games, and, and they're going to be so exhausted that they're going to probably lose a lot of games anyway. You're in a division with the Pirates and the Brewers who suck, and, and, and you can't at least finish second and make the playoffs. That would cost you, in my opinion. But I, I think they're going to get in. I do. If, if they don't make the playoffs, he's got to be fired. But I, I think you're right that if they sneak in no matter how they do it, he's going to be safe because it's not yeah. only – And I think that's fair, right? As much as I think he overmanages and I don't think much of him as a manager, I think in the interest of fairness, you do that and you, you, you come back. Yeah, and I, I, that's right. But also, I think there's more than just surface of David Bell's our manager. They have kind of invested in this whole analytical approach. I think they'd stick going down that road in general, but like bring in Trevor Bauer's pitching guy that's all about – the stuff I think the whole mindset of the team is kind of centered around David Bell's analytical approach to the game and so you know maybe you just hire another manager that's like that but I think they're going to give him every opportunity for this to succeed because they really have invested in this mindset overall yeah you know I like looking at numbers and the numbers will tell me when I can put a guy in and um, sometimes I, I put a guy in and um, you know I want him to do the job and he just doesn't do the job for me and uh, the numbers said I should put him in but, but oh, we, yoy, yoy. we believe in our guys. We believe in our, you know, uh, yeah, I believe in this bullpen. Um, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to come around. I believe those guys have good stuff and uh, I just, I believe in them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor told reporters that cornerback Trey Wayne suffered a pictorial injury this week and will be sidelined for a while. Wayne's is expected to miss at least two months and is seeking a second opinion. According to reports, Skinny, how big of a hit is this for the Bengals? It, it is a big one because you spent pretty good money on him. He was going to start it outside corner. Um, 
and uh, you know now you're going to test the depth that you you really spent money at that position of the offseason with him, Mackenzie Alexander, LaShawn Sims. The problem is that Mackenzie Alexander is really more of a nickel cornerback, and and you know until we we talked to Zach the other day when he was talking about this injury to Trey Waynes, and he made the point that he probably would like to keep Mackenzie as the as the nickel corner um, in, in the short term. So. Then you're going to look at Darius Phillips, who I thought had a really nice second half of last year. But again, you signed Trey Waynes for a reason. Um, you wanted him to be your starting outside corner. LaShawn Sims has really been primarily a special teams player and backup in his career. Um, there is an interesting kid, Winston Rose, from the CFL, but he was an undrafted free agent coming out of college and um, didn't make either the Rams or the Colts and then bolted for Canada, where he did blossom and he became a, a legitimate star um, became a first-team All-CFL player. Now, whether that translates to the NFL is another thing. But, yeah, um, it, it, is a, it is a blow. And, um, you know, hopefully it is only the initial four to eight weeks. Hopefully it's not more than that. Um, I think the interesting sub-story that came out of this, obviously, was the whole deal of his agent being upset that, that um, you know, the Bengals wouldn't let him have a third-party physical and then he wasn't able to train properly um, to, to come to camp. And, and there's a lot of finger-pointing at fans towards that agent. And I made the point, in a story and on Twitter, and I'll make it here, there's really nobody to blame. I I don't blame the Bengals for wanting them to have their own doctors do the physical, but I also don't blame Trey Waynes if he didn't train really hard this offseason because he he is due a $15 million signing bonus when he he signed his contract after he passed his physical. I'm not going to overly strain myself to potentially suffer an injury that when I come in to get the physical, the Bengals go – Oh, your hamstring's all messed up. What happened? Well, I was training for the season. I blew it out. And then you go, well, eh, sorry, we're not going to sign you. I'm not blowing $15 million for that. And so it was just an unfortunate circumstance. And look, Trey Waynes also could have suffered a pectoral muscle injury, even if he had trained properly. So again, there's a lot of finger pointing both ways here. And I just don't think there's anybody to blame. It's an unfortunate circumstance of, of, of the coronavirus. You mentioned the kid from the CFL. You know what they say, if you can stop an alouette, you can stop anybody. So <laughs> I like, I, like I, I will say he was asked, I think Jeff Hobson asked specifically to, to Zach Taylor because the kid had 14 interceptions in the last two years combined. And he said, he said 14 picks is 14 picks, right? And he said, yeah, I guess 14 picks is 14 picks. So, um, you know, the, 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 the kid is going to be interesting to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, south to – Shout out to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's Rough Riders versus Rough Riders. The winner, Rough Riders. It's a South Park reference, by the way. All right, Skinny. It's time for our favorite segment of the podcast, Ask Skinny Anything, where people ask questions to me online somewhere, Twitter, my message board, XavierMusketeerReport.com, or really anywhere else, and we, uh, we answer them. So the first one, is in a hypothetical game where Skinny could handpick any player to hit a wide-open three at the buzzer to send his favorite team to the national title, what college player in the last 30 years has taken the shot? This guy says, disclaimer, it can't be Steve Logan. Way too obvious. <laughs> Only a goddamn imbecile would pick anyone else. Um, if it's a wide-open three, even in college, for the last 30 years, I'm believe it or not, I'm either taking – the last 30 years, that's 1990. I was going to say, I was going to take a little Stevie Alford, but that's longer than 30 years. I guess I'm going to take Steph Curry because Steph could still fill it up. He's still filling it up at Davidson. He didn't become quite the shooter he became in the NBA, but old boy could still shoot it. And I think I'd take Steph to, to knock down that, that three. Now, if you could even wide it out further, I might even take his old man Dell because Dell could shoot the daylights out of it. But I'm going Steph Curry for the win. How about you, Rick? Yeah, Steph is a pretty good answer. I may just go uh... – as much as I hate to say it, I may just go JJ. 
because he was in so many big moments already. So he already had that that pressure throughout his career. I think he would have been uh, been. I don't know that there's a better shooter in college yeah, basketball no, over the last thirty years. So it's legit. That's a legit point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, know who it wouldn't be? Who was is that? Steve Logan. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <that's> funny. <laughs> have you ever been to a bar or establishment where you felt totally out of place? If not, what's the seediest bar you've ever been to? Oh, yeah, there's no question. All right, so <laughs> this is back in, I want to say 1986. I was a young reporter <laughs> for the Recorder newspapers in Northern Kentucky. A year before I was born, how old were you? I was 23. Nice. So, so me and a guy, I don't know if you know him or not, a guy named Pat Crowley. And Pat now has his own consulting firm, but Pat, I know Pat, yeah. Pat and I were working at the recorders together and we kind of are, are, it's funny how our journalism careers, we, we worked there together. I got him a job when I worked at a daily paper in Maysville. I got him a job there. He then got a job at the post about two years later. I followed him to the post. Um, he then went to the inquire. I followed him to the inquire. I mean, we kind of, our careers had similar paths. So this, and he's just a good dude to boot. So Pat and I were covering a, a Boone County high school football playoff game in Ashland against Boyd County. And um, so we had these, these recorder jackets. The owner of the recorder at the time um, wanted us to wear these kind of satin, satiny kind of jackets that had recorder newspapers on them because they wanted people to see when you were at the game that we were there covering the game. That makes so sense. So you looked like studs. Oh, we were, we were totally, totally jamming in our satin recorder jackets. Much like I looked in my uh, blue and orange Boise State, shout out to DJ Hodge, looking NKY fan shirts when I was yep, covering yep. them. Th- th- those were right. sharp, baby. Yeah. Um, so after the game, we went and had a few cocktails and had probably a few too many. And the place we were at shut down at like midnight. And I, before it shut down, I said, hey, across the river, Ironton, I said, are they still open? He said, yeah, you can probably go buy, buy liquor over there. I said, okay. So I said, hey, let's just go get a bottle. And we'll go back to the hotel and we'll just do, I don't want to drink over there and then drive back. Although somehow I drank and drove to Ironton, Ohio. So we come to the very first place. It was a bar and kind of half loopy. We kind of like bust in the door. I walk up, I slam my, slam my hand on the bar, like a total jackass. Like I was in some Western and go, give me a shot of whiskey and a, and a bottle of, I don't even know what the bottle was. And all of a sudden I, I kind of, I feel this eerie silence around me and I kind of look up and I look around. And I'm like, um, I'll tell you what, just can I buy the bottle? And he wraps it in a brown paper bag, gives it to me. And I just kind of saunter out. And I looked at Pat. I go, you realize we should be dead by now. I said, I think the guy in the corner had a switchblade. The other cat had a gun. Turned out it was kind of a biker bar that we probably weren't even allowed in. But we just barged our way in. And so I got in the car. I said, let's just get the hell out of here. I've not been to Ironton, Ohio since, in case you're wondering. That doesn't – first of all, Ironton, Ohio sounds like just a giant biker gang clubhouse in general. It doesn't, doesn't even sound like a city. Um, second of all, I think that's exactly what you walked into was a biker clubhouse, not a bar. It's possible I did. They I just had a bartender in the clubhouse. I will say the guy sold me a bottle. I'll give him credit for that. Well, got to look legit, I guess. I mean, yep. They're not handing that stuff out for free. That's pretty impressive. Um, and and maybe, maybe the thing that was scary was maybe they thought our satin jackets were like a, a rival biker. We're the recorder newspaper gang. I mean, uh, that's maybe why they were upset with us. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think they probably <laughs> ran a, a competing media entity. For exactly. Sure. exactly. Uh, that, was their, that was their front, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so I have two. One was where it's kind of like yours, where it was maybe a little bit dangerous, and the other where not at all, but I was just totally out of place. And you actually know the place, Dixie Club Cafe, you mentioned Absolutely. on the last podcast. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mo Egger says he's been there. So I lived right by there. I mean, I still have the house that, that's right by there. 
And I, for the life, you know, a long time I was like, I'm, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in there and try that place. It looks cool. I'm going to try that place. It's my little dive bar, my type of spot. And finally, one time me and a friend work up the courage to go try it. We walk in the front door and immediately we find out one, it's a place with nothing but regulars. And two, it's a backdoor place. <laughs> so immediately, two yahoos walk through the front door, and it was like a record scratched. Everybody who's in their spot, because it's, it's cheers, it's nothing but everyone right. sitting in the same exact spot every night, all turn and look at the front door. We walk in, walk towards the bar, see that there's no open seats, turn around and walk straight back out the front door, and that was my only experience with Dixie Club Cafe ever. Well, here's my question. Does, does it have a sign on the front door that says, do not enter? No, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not that you can't go through the front door, but it's a place where when there's nothing but regulars in there and someone opens the front door and everyone knows it's a backdoor kind of place. It's like, like Saddle Club. You go in the back door, right? Like, you That's know, yep, yep. yeah, you park in the back, you go in the back door. If someone comes to the front, you're like, oh, like either they live down the street or they're a newbie. Like they've well, they're, they're a Yahoo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what we were. They, didn't, I mean, they knew we didn't come here all the time because we lived across the street. We were just new people that didn't know what we were doing. So, That's awesome. Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. The other was a place in Lexington that wasn't quite what you're talking about. It wasn't a biker uh, hangout, I don't think. But it was a little rough around the edges for certain. And uh, like they gave, had a security check when you walked in with a metal wand. And I was like, huh, that seems, do you rem- do, that do you seems odd. The, do you remember the name of the place? I can't remember what it was called. It had kind of like a Western name. It was right out in front of a little hotel in Lexington. Yeah, yeah I know exactly. It's Horseshoes. That might have been it. That yeah, it's right, by, it's, right, it's right by the Days Inn. We, we always take a golf trip down to Lexington, stay at that little Days Inn, and we go to – believe it or not, that place has outstanding food. Well, it, if you say so. It, it did not look like the type of place that would. Outstanding. You know that scene in uh, Animal House, where the Mind If We Dance with Yo Dates? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had a situation very similar to that where it was a, it was a minor league ball trip where it was me and, and family members, and you know my, my younger brother, Rob, and you know my cousin, uh, George. Uh, they they are both very thin guys, like taller, thin guys. And so they're with me. And this chick who's probably, I don't know, 350 oh. pounds, comes up to the table and just says, y'all want to dance with me? <laughs> and so we had no choice because what, what were we going to do? She had us cornered. So we just go out there and uh, – we had a great old time there. We uh, drank and danced dude, with Big Mama out dude, on the it's dance a, floor. It's a fabulous place. It, it honestly, it is. It it's actually has a new name now, believe it or not, because I I I went and played golf in Lexington last Wednesday when I moved some of my daughter's stuff down and played at Griffin Gate, and then went down down to that place to have a, a couple of beers, believe it or not. Sat outside. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's uh the place you're talking about is Horseshoes because it's right down from the ballpark. It's it's yeah. it's it's right off the exit, right there. It's yeah, trust that's me, it. Great great food, and and we would we would have we would go play golf. On Friday night at Kearney, uh, uh, just up the road, we'd, we'd go have dinner there, drink there, go downtown, take an Uber downtown, come back, finish the night there, go back to sleep, get up and play golf the next morning with a hangover. It's always a great trip. And that, well, was, that was a big part of our trip is that joint, horseshoes. On, on Saturday nights, it becomes a place where, like, guys have cowboy hats and black no leather question. vests. That's it. No question. And, yeah. Yeah. And you get wanded down when you go in. So And, and we look like yahoos in our golf shirt and perfectly pleated shorts. Yeah, so. that, was, that was us. Old accordion over there yep the yep with his <laughs> yep. <pleated> khakis <laughs> all right so skinny in a seven game imaginary head-to-head series who wins between the 76 reds and the 1990 reds um 
I'll, I'll go 76 Reds. They just were so versatile. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Those 75, 76 Reds, yeah, everybody talks about they didn't have a, a, a stud pitcher, although Don Gullett, when he was healthy, was a stud pitcher. Their entire pitching staff was really good. That team just could beat you so many ways. They, they could beat you with small ball. They could beat you stealing bases. They could beat you with the home run. They could beat you with defense. Yeah, I'm going 76 Reds. I'll even go four games to one, maybe four games to two, because Rio might win two games out of that series. All right. Um, th- I already know the answer to this, so I'm going to rephrase the question here in a second. This, the question is, would Skinny take a radar gun to a 12U game to check a kid throwing 50 miles per hour? Obviously, you would never do that. I assume the guy who asked this question experienced someone doing that over the weekend or something. So let me ask you this, Skinny. What would you say to a guy who takes a radar gun to a 12U baseball game to check out a kid throwing 50 miles an hour? See, I'm not the guy that would say something to him, but I would get, I would get, kind of give the look at him, and hopefully he looks at me and just kind of give the shake, shaking my head like disdainfully, like, what are you doing? I, I wouldn't say anything to him. I don't want to embarrass him totally by, by calling him out, but, I mean, honestly, what are you doing, sir? I mean, hey, Junior threw 54 today. I may call the Yankees. No, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? So uh, when I first started going out, Hey, son, you, you got up to 55 today on the gun. I'll tell you what, I, you're, you're only 45 miles an hour away from, from a Rolders Chapman. You might make it after all. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> when I first started going out on the uh, AAU circuit, I, I was um, filming games and doing stuff for, like, UC sites and, and Xavier sites. Like, B. Snow was running right, the Xavier Rival right. site, and uh, a different guy, not Chad Brendel yet, was running uh, the UC site. And Tommy Hamilton, who – ended up at DePaul and, and played, you know, against Xavier for a bunch mm-hmm. of years yeah. um, and then transferred to Texas Tech, was playing as like a freshman, an eighth grader. I think it was after his eighth grade year going into his freshman year, he's playing with the 17U team. And this dude like starts the game, uh, first game I'm watching by like catching, pump faking three, doing a spin move down the lane and finger rolling over the front of the rim. And he's fat as hell. I mean, he's like 6'8", 300 pounds or something, just totally fat. And he looks like Escalade playing the and one mixtape. He's crossing dudes up, hitting threes, driving to the rim. So I'm like tweeting about him just because that's my type of thing. And uh, then, so the guy running the UCs, I was like, oh yeah, you got to get film of him for the next game. So I'm over there filming him and uh, <laughs> Brian Snow walks by and I didn't even know Snow that well at this time. I just started developing a relationship with him. It's like basically did exactly what you're saying. He just walks over and goes, what are you doing over here? I mean, what what are we doing? Let the kid live. He's he's a freshman. Come on. In his very Brian Snow esque voice. So oh, that's funny. That is right. funny. All right, rank F- one through F- fifty two miles an hour shooting a gun at him. You gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> Does the gun even register fifty two miles an hour accurately? You better have one of those real nice jugs guns if you're getting 52. exactly exactly. Uh, rank one through four. Who is winning in a ninety foot sprint? Me, you. Christian Cologne and Matt Davidson. Is Matt Davidson slow? I mean, we obviously saw the double play ball with Christian Cologne last night was just an absolute joke. But I'm, is Matt Davidson slow? I, I'm assuming he is. I mean, he's, he's kind of a slugger, right? He's a bigger guy. I've never seen him. I will say, now back to the Travis Jankowski. Now, that cat can run. I will give him that. That dude can fly. I, I'm going to give him a little, little props for that. I believe it or not, Rick, I hate to do this to you. I think I win that race. Even at my advanced age, I think I win that race. Yeah, you, first of all, you're not beating me in the race. Mm, okay. you're, not, you're not beating me in the race. Okay. I'm deceptively fast, as they say. Okay. Um, Christian Cologne, I'm definitely faster than. I don't know about Matt Davidson. Yeah, I don't He's, either. That, 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 that's, that's the wild card, right? That's I would always I... take the professional athlete over you and me, except yeah. for I saw Christian Cologne 
trying to run out that double play ball last night in the bottom of the ninth. And somehow, some way, a ball hit deep at a, de- at a defense playing double play depth. He didn't even make it freaking close. He was 10 <laughs> feet short. Like, I, I had to watch it again on replay because I thought there was an optical illusion on my screen in real time. I was like, what the hell just happened? How was, how was that not a bang-bang play? Maybe, and, he, maybe he slipped. Yeah, I don't know who's coming in first or who's coming in second or third, but I know Christian Colon is coming well, in. coming in last. Place. That's a good That's a good call. That's a good call. Uh, across all the more popular sports, NFL, MLB, NBA, soccer, NHL, NCAA football, NCAA basketball, in which sport is the coaching managing the easiest and which is the hardest? Ooh, that's a good one. The all easiest right. is soccer because you can barely even sub. Yeah. Um, I mean, they act like all their alignments are fancy and stuff, but really well, it's just you, like, are you playing conservative or not? Well, and then you got a handful of set pieces off of corner kicks and stuff and off of direct kicks, but I don't think you have, I don't think it's, you know, overly elaborate. So yeah, that, that to me would be the easiest. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, boy, that's a good one. I, I guess I'll go, I'll go, I'll go college football because not only do you have to coach it and man, you have to manage it, but then recruiting's involved and you have to be extraordinarily organized with that. I, I'm going to go college football, believe it or not. Yeah, I think I know. I think that's definitely the right answer because there is as much strategy as any coaching. I think fo- football is probably the most strategy in yeah, any but, of them, but, right? But, but but at least in the NFL, for the most part, and you have to do some scouting, and you have to, you know, uh, you, although you do have scouts to do it, and they're kind of moving things up the chain, but you're also looking at players. I just think you throw the recruiting element into college, it 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 becomes infinitesimally harder it's just it's really difficult yeah no I totally agree with that but I would just say from a from like a pure just sport standpoint not separating the leagues right now if you're asking like which sport is the toughest or requires the most strategy or specialized strategy it's definitely football because like you wouldn't I wouldn't feel comfortable just going and coaching my son's football team right I'm not I don't know enough football stuff but like any other sport, yes, even like yeah. hockey, I'm like I can I could go coach that team. I don't think I could. I don't think I could coach hockey. I, I don't. You could just, I, I'm saying I, like I, a young son, like you could just throw him out there, and you'd be like, all right, I know that enough positions and where you're supposed to go. Just go play. Like yeah. any sport, you could do that with, except for football. Really, that's the only one where it's like I wouldn't even know all the alignments to be putting my kids in. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah, changing yeah. stuff. No, up. no, no. Football, football, I think is extraordinarily difficult. I'll, I'll go football. Yeah, I think NCAA football is definitely the hardest because of the recruiting aspect, as you mentioned, and and Question soccer that. is definitely the easiest. Um, MLB is the second easiest. I, I agree with you. I, I I don't think it's overly difficult to manage. I don't. I'm yeah. sorry that I don't, but I don't. Because NBA requires the second most strategy behind the behind football. You know, basketball requires the second most strategy. So NCAA basketball would be the next hardest after NCAA football because of the recruiting I, aspect. I think I'll go with that. Yeah, I'd go NCAA football, NCAA basketball. NFL, NFL, NBA, um, because no, NHL, let, let, MLB, listen, soccer. Now, I've made this point before, though, and I, I do think – and there is – look, I coach basketball, but, but I understand the NBA is at a different level of that. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, though, you, you could also, though, give me LeBron James, Anthony Davis, whatever, and I'm going to go win 50 games. I'm going sure. to do – I mean, so I don't know how overly difficult in theory that is, but it, it, it is tough. I'm not going to tell you it's not. Yeah, it, well, it's just more so than the the other sports yes. listed, I would yes. say, because yes. those are even more so. You just roll out the best player and you'll be in yes. the best spot. correct. Uh, which one player on offense and defense will surprise fans this year for the Bengals? What one player? Yeah, on offense and defense will surprise fans for the Bengals. That's a good one. D- defense, 
Defense, I'm going to go, because we haven't seen him yet. We get to see him finally on Monday. I'm going to go Jermaine Pratt. He, he just interests me because I thought he made some really good progress last year. Von Bell also interests me a lot. Um, I'll, I'll, just, I'll go Jermaine Pratt. I think he's got that that upside to him, and I think it started to click a little bit for him last year. So I'll, I'll go with him. I'm happy to hear you say that because I'm on, very concerned about linebacker on offense. I don't know who who to pick as a surprise. I mean, I don't think Drew Sample is going to surprise me when he catches 12 <laughs> passes again this year. Um, Joe Mixon's not going to surprise me when he rushes for a thousand plus yards. Uh, I, I guess the I guess to some degree you hope it's Burrow, right? As goofy as that sounds, because. To me, I'm, I'm looking at more growing pains rookie quarterback as opposed to guy throwing 28 touchdowns and 12 picks and having, you know, a, a real impact on, on this team this year. I guess I'll go Burrow, but I think for a lot of fans, if he did that, it wouldn't surprise them. I guess for me, it would surprise me. Yeah, I would surprise the hell out of me if he did all that this year with this team. But all right, That's a good question. Answer. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a good question because um, – and maybe that's a good thing that – I guess I could go, maybe could I go to A.J. Green? Because I, I just don't know what I'm going to see yet. I don't. I, I, look, he can look great in, in walkthroughs, and he may look great in camp, but what happens the very first time he I'm, – I'm holding – in fact, I guarantee you as a Bengals fan, Rick, and, and you are one, I think you'll be holding your breath every time A.J. Green runs around and has a pass thrown to him, will you not? Yeah, oh, yeah. I've, I've felt that way, honestly, for a little bit, though. Okay, okay. I feel like – I mean, he's been – a little injury pro. I don't want to say like full. He's not a guy that's like fragile. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go that far. He's no, not Tyler he, Eifert, but he's been a little injury prone. Yeah. I don't even think Tyler Eifert's fragile. I think Tyler Eifert just had some fluky ass crap happen to that dude. Yeah. Well, be it as it may, the dude's constantly injured. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. All right. Our guy, Dan, who always helps us out here coming <laughs> in with another good one. What is the most questionable purchase or life decision skinny has made while overserved? In the interest of fairness, I recently bought a pair of $150 Ray-Bans several beers in because Christian Bale looked cool in them in Ford versus Ferrari. I do not look cool in them. I'll be honest with you. Usually when I'm over-served, I'm nowhere near making a purchase. It's usually I'm done for the night. I mean, I, I, it's fact, one of, one of favorite stories for people that cover the Bengals with me was in Kansas City a couple years ago. And, and Catherine Terrell, who now works in New Orleans, she said it was one of the funniest things I've ever watched. She goes, you swallowed your last beer, and all of a sudden I just look up and you're walking out the door. She goes, where did you go? I said, well, that was the night I kind of tried to call a cab and I couldn't figure out how to dial the number. My phone got wet and I mumbled something to somebody. He goes, I'll get you a cab, sir. He goes, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I have to go back to my hotel. And he said, where's your hotel? And I go, I don't know. And I kind of somehow mumbled and figured out where it was. Um, so yeah, I use, I'm not, I'm never in a place to, to make that kind of a purchase. Um, I've maybe been overserved in a certain club of, or two, but I, even then I just, I don't carry a big wad of cash with me and that's kind of a cash establishment, if you know what I mean. So I'm going to say I haven't done that, believe it or not. How about you? Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not like a, a drinker and purchaser really. I know that's become more of a thing as people, especially with quarantine, people drink at home and then they hop on like Amazon and start. Yeah, and I'm, that's funny. I'm, I'm not a big online buyer. So that helps me. That probably helps me. Now, I am, but I'll that's not what I'm you. doing when I'm drunk. Now I will say there's been times where um, I guess you could qualify as this, where I've had a few too many and I've had a, you know, a little bit of money in the twin spires account and it's drained. And I, I, I put it, I put more in there and I look up the next day and I go, Oh wait, I made that deposit last night. Didn't I? Yeah. That wasn't too bright. I was just going to say, I think the dumbest things I would do in drinking is like a dumb bet. 
But yeah. like, it's not even so much that like, oh, I, I spend more than I should have. It's more like I didn't pay attention to bets I already put in, and then I bet the opposite of it, opposite of it, like thirty minutes later when I was looking at lines because the line in my mind was better this time around because I was drunk. So like, I've done that before where I made a bet like sober, and then I get drunk and I make a different bet that goes against the first bet I make, and I, so I just bet both sides. I will say, I, I, this, this is about five or six years ago during a Bengals bye week. I, I put some money in my Twin Spires account and had a really good night. And at the end of the night, I'm like, I'm going to make the last play of the night. And I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to it – was, it was a trotting race at Hawthorne Racetrack, which is – why am I betting Hawthorne at 1130 at night? I have no idea. Because you were overserved. Correct. So I always wanted to just box even numbers and box odd numbers, no matter what the odds were, and just roll the dice. Kind of like literally playing, not even handicap, it just play the lottery on it, right? So I fell asleep. Woke up the next day and my account was into five figures. And I went, what in the world? <laughs> and I looked and I, I, I hit that box. And I will say, to the credit, I took a big chunk of that money out um, very quickly. Um, and, and, and that was at least a smart move. But I thought, wow, that actually hit. And then I looked, I went, the pool was only that much? Oh, come on. The first time I do it, it was like a 60 to 1 and an 80 to 1 and a 20 to 1, which I thought, I think I actually took the whole pool down. I don't think anybody else had it. The problem was the pool wasn't very big, unfortunately. But yeah, that, that, that at least was a good being overserved in doing it. But I've done the opposite, like you said, where you're like, ah, oh, did I really do that? He uh, said, what is the most, he did say life decision. Do you have a good, good one story for the most questionable life decision you've made while overserved? <laughs> No, um, no, other than getting kicked off, yeah, kicked off a bus at Disney world. That's probably the one where I just yelled at the bus driver until he said, sir, you have to get off the bus. And I, I did. And they went along their merry way and I had to find my way back to the hotel. Well, with your whole family on the bus. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, They, yeah, they, they were not happy. They were not pleased with me. (laughs) That's understandable. Why were you yelling at the guy though? Um, because it took forever for the bus to get there to pick us up. And I was just completely, and I was in the right for that. But it, at the point I made my point, I probably just should have shut up. And I just kept, he kept, actually, he kept snap, snapping back at me. And that, of course, you know me, I'm not going to back down. So I kept snapping back at him and it just, it escalated. Yeah. And in, uh, and in my mind, I was right. And now that you look back at it as a more mature human being, you realize you're completely in the wrong. I just want to add into this conversation. It has nothing to do with being drunk because I was totally sober when I did it. But the dumbest decision, I, dumbest purchase I've ever made was an iPad. I just had to get that off my chest because I think I've used that thing a total of like five or ten times ever. That's it was funny. like $700 when they were new or something. That's hilarious. You are the king of – in fact, I'm using one of your computers as we speak. You are the king, king of, of, of buying computers. I'm a gear guy, yeah. But, I mean, computers have made me pretty much every – dime i've made in my life well, those call. were always good purchases i make my money back on those the ipad was useless to me they were a <laughs> dumb freaking thing well it sounded, uh, sounded good at the time probably yeah i thought it was going to be productive it was not skinny what would your last meal be this is our final question here Ooh, that's a yeah I, I, that's a, that's all because i'm i'm that morbid guy that when you read about a guy going to death row i always want to do see what he did have for his last meal i don't know why that, that is very morbid. That's interesting though yeah, it, it is. Um, it's got to be. It's got to be a, a a good ribeye for sure, um, with probably a lobster tail on the side, um, baked potato, asparagus, and then um, probably chocolate cake or chocolate ice cream for dessert. That's pretty strong. You had you had the whole all courses planned out. I like. I did. That. Oh, I had a Caesar salad. I'm sorry. I got to get the salad part of it too. Caesar salad. <laughs> I uh. 
can I, can you, do you think you can get like an app brought in there before like your main course? Is that a thing? Yeah, I guess so. Like, could I get, could, cause what I would love to have is like chicken wings and then like a nice Mexican meal. Yeah. I mean, it's your, it's your last meal. I think you can ask for anything you want. Yeah. If, if I could get like an order of wings, maybe just 10 wings from uh, Midway cafe, uh, spicy garlic, then I would do um, like fajitas or uh, shrimp chimichanga or something like that from Rio Grande, little uh, chips and guac. I'd, I'd be good with that. Die, die with a full stomach, man. Yeah, I don't do dessert really, so I'm good on that. It's your last meal. You might as well splurge, Rick. Uh, I want the chicken wings instead, man. I'm not going to be greedy about it. You know, just kill me after that. That's so morbid. It's just so <laughs> morbid. It's incredible. Well, that's a good note to end on. It is. It is. Uh, on that note, folks, have a great week. We'll be back next week with another one of these fine podcasts. Thanks for listening. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner from the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Cold 3 edition. 